It's the Healthcare Solutions Project, the podcast where we dig into ideas and innovations that will help improve cost, quality, and health outcomes and make the healthcare experience better for patients and providers. I'm your host, Don Siemens, and I just want to say that I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful because I believe the reason you're listening is because you care about healthcare. You care about all the things that we're doing right now to make healthcare better. I'm also grateful for my guest today. He's a person who's been in health tech for a while now, starting out as a developer and then growing into a leader at a number of highly regarded and successful healthcare IT companies. Sagnik Bhattacharya. Sagnik, welcome to the Healthcare Solutions Project. Thanks, Don, and thank you for having me. So, Sagnik, you are an executive vice president at HealthEdge. Um, you're the general manager at the company's health rules payer unit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about HealthEdge and what you do there? Sure. So HealthEdge is a technology company that builds the digital health platform that helps uh, health plans be digital companies themselves. So my role within HealthEdge is I manage the the unit that really focuses on the core uh, claims processing for health plans. So we build a technology that really automates a lot of the claims processing, and it does it in a more modern and technologically advanced way. Um, besides the, the core admin platform, which is called Health Rules Pair, uh, we also serve um, you know, the, our customers through payment integrity solutions. It's our source product. And then on the care management side through uh, a care management system called Guiding Care and then member engagement through a, a product called Wellframe. So that's kind of the, the breadth of what uh, HealthEdge does. And, uh, and yeah, we're we're really uh, excited to you know, help chart the technology course for health plans over the next several years and hopefully decades to come. Well, it sounds like a really interesting place to be and you're doing great work, it sounds like. Let's. Uh, I was really interested in looking at your your bio and uh, found out that you started out as a developer at Epic. Tell us about that journey that you took from developer to leader there. Sure. So uh, about a couple of decades ago, I was a computer science grad looking for a job, and that was the time that the dot com bubble had burst and. And really, we were lucky to get a job in the tech field because we were going through a tech recession. So um, I got lucky and I ended up at this uh, up and coming EHR company in Wisconsin. And um, I, you know, to me, it was just my uh, software development job at first. Um, there's, a, there's an incident that happened a little bit early in my career. So about a couple of years into my tenure there, um, I had to take a friend of mine to the ER at the University of Wisconsin hospitals. And while at the ER, um, the triage nurse who was using the EHR happened to use a feature in the EHR that I had created. And that was, yeah, that was, that was uh, well, first of all, my, my friend turned out to be fine. He, he was okay. Uh, and then, but secondly, that was a bit like, uh, a little bit of an aha moment for me, which is, the, the software that I was creating was actually being used to care for patients in their hour of need, which was, you know, if you if you think about the early 2000s, at that time, the cool computer science jobs were in uh, in game programming. And if you think about all of the, the gaming companies from back in the day, none of them exist today. Like Farmville was a thing back in 2007, 2008. But they're now. So it's a, you know, that, that experience really, you know, made me think a lot. 
And uh, what I, I figured and I realized is just being at that intersection of healthcare and technology is that that's what really got me motivated and made me see that purpose of the work that I was doing. And so, so that's kind of made me decide that I want to be at that intersection. And as my career evolved, I moved over more into the product side of things. And I kept getting more intrigued by how does policy and healthcare incentives and, and data and, and you know, healthcare operations and technology come together to solve some of the problems that you have versus if you, if you just think about technology in and of itself, it's not going to solve the problems that our healthcare uh, you know, system and our providers and our payers have. So I you know, just started drifting more and more towards the product and business end of things. Um, I led outpatient EHR group there for, uh, for a number of years and then um, increasingly focused more on value-based care and, and on um, you know, how, how, does, how does the payer-provider relationship work and and so worked a lot on the on population health, value based care, and and really that's uh, that was kind of mostly my journey, and then which led into my my next chapter, which was really again on the value based care care coordination side, uh, working with payers, um, and um, you know then I I met Steve Krupa, who is the health edge CEO, and he he had an amazing vision, and he has an amazing vision for what he thinks the future of the health uh, health insurance industry uh, needs to be, and I was hooked. So here I am at Health Edge, trying to uh, make that happen. Well, that's an amazing journey. So you went from someone who was just totally focused on getting writing great code and and making something work really well to someone who was really thinking about strategy, thinking about what what the consumer needed, uh, and, and the consumer being the not only the hospital, but the payer. You you weren't you weren't just in the provider space. You were also in the payer space, right? Yeah, yeah. So and it was a bit of a journey for me, which is I, I definitely focused a lot more energy and effort on the provider space at first. And and back in the day, uh, you know, value based care was something you just talked about on the side at conferences, but it was really more about fee for service, regular old, uh, you know, visit based based care. Um, and then as value-based care uh, became more of a thing, then uh, my interest was drawn more towards uh, the, the really the incentives. How do we use the incentives to drive the workflows and technology adoption that we needed? So, so that's, the, that's kind of the journey. So provider to value-based care, like the payer-provider interface, and then going into, if you, if you think about it, full risk, which is what the payers are. I, I think a lot of people look at Epic and see how successful they are. I just read a stat and I'm gonna, I, I don't have it down pat in front of me, but it was something like Epic covers 77% of the country in terms of people who could be, uh, whose electronic health record could be there. Maybe that's geographically the hospitals that, they, that, the, that they're in the service area of something like that. So they're, they're quite large, quite successful and you know it's hard to take a secret sauce and bottle it, but you can take a look at an environment and a culture and see how that breeds success. So I, I'm wondering if you can maybe give your opinion on what it is about the environment at Epic, the culture there, that makes it such a powerhouse in healthcare IT. Well, uh, first of all, it, it took a it 
it took a while to to get there. It was uh, decades in the making. Epic was started back in 1979, uh, and so so it's a it's been a, a long journey. And and you know, uh, Judy Faulkner, she she is an exceptional person, um, and and she's got a strength of belief and the culture that she has built, and you know, and being extremely customer focused. Um, so for um, for what it's worth, you know, um, I think a lot of the um, I guess you know that that's kind of one of the places where I grew up, and the kind of the, a lot of the learnings that I uh, that I've kind of taken from that place is, is something that really kind of helps me today um, in terms of really being uh, very customer focused. That's kind of a lot of the values that we have um, in our in our teams, which is really really focus on the customer, uh, but then also really focus on the the market and the industry that we're trying to serve. So if you think about, um, and I'll talk my, about my uh, current role at HealthEdge, we're trying to create an integrated solution for health plans. Um, I think there, there's a lot of success that Epic's had on the provider side. I think the, the provider market has evolved significantly. I think the health plan market is still pretty nascent when it comes to technology and about like using modern technology, interoperable platforms and so on and so forth. So I think the there is definitely a, a big room for opportunity uh, on the plan side. And so I think while Epic's had a great deal of success in this past, I think there is a, the, the health plan world needs, um, you know, some new technologies to really see the kind of outcomes that people have seen on the provider side. Okay, so we're talking about capabilities to, to to see better outcomes, and and one thing that comes to mind, and one thing that's on the tip of everyone's tongue, it seems like it has been for the last, gosh, I don't know how long. I, I've been in healthcare for twenty five years, and, and as long as we've been talking about technology, we've been talking about interoperability. And you mentioned incentives. What? Uh, first of all, I guess I should off, ask ask the, this question: How important do you think interoperability is for that triple aim of improving cost, quality, and outcomes? Yeah, and I, I would expand that to you know what we talk about these days, which is the quadruple aim, where we have, where we kind of also add the provider experience into the mix. Great point. Um, and, and to me, it's uh, interoperability is about it's you know. I like to use the term interoperability as a feeling, which is you know when you have it, uh, and when you know when you don't. Because if you if you were to really get get into it and look at okay, do we have APIs? Do we have fire? Do we have CCDs and all of that kind of capability based things? It it doesn't really you know matter if the information is not available to the right person when they need it. But even if you have interoperable systems in place, so so to me the interoperability is about having some of these technical uh, capabilities just fade into the background. So patients have the information at their fingertips, providers have information when they need it to treat the patient, and and quite frankly the right information, because oftentimes providers are getting uh, way too much information to sort through in the limited time that they have. Yeah, so point. it goes to, the, goes to the quadruple aim part, which is like, how how do we make sure that all this information is not adding undue burden to providers as well? Um, and then the, the last thing I'd say is that there is um, there's a there's interoperability that is, I think, gotten 
uh, pretty far along in certain parts of the healthcare ecosystem. I think provider to provider interoperability has taken a significant stride forward in the last um, decade or so. Mm. I think the interoperability between um, between payers and between payers and providers, that's not quite there yet. And I think a lot of work that is happening, including uh, the work that's and some of the incentives and rules being put in place by the government um, are going to lead us there. So that brings me to my next question. You talked about incentives and there will be incentives, uh, carrots and sticks uh, from the from the government side, right? What what kind of incentives do you see right now to promote interoperability? And maybe the next half of that question is what kind of incentives do we need to make us more interoperable? Um, so in terms of the what's in place for interoperability today, I think the, uh, the 21st, 21st Century Cures Act has a lot of um, you know, requirements that are now getting implemented through various rules that are being published by CMS. And I think the uh, a lot of focus for interoperability, I think over the next few years will be around uh, number one, payers, uh, providing more transparency of data and information, cost transparency, um, access to patients for shoppable services uh, information, so, so the I think that the shift of interoperability rulemaking has definitely moved, put a lot more uh, attention on pairs than have been put in the past. I think that the 2010s were all about provider interoperability. There is a lot more focus now on pair interoperability, and I think as we as we kind of look down the road, the signals that we see from the government, they want to bring a lot of the if you think about all of the HIPAA covered entities. Payers, providers, patients, public health agencies—all of those entities into more um, interoperable systems. Um, you know, for those of our who uh, of us who are really into the interoperability space, um, there is this uh, thing called TEFCA um, that is out there. Uh, it's a it's the a new way of promoting interoperability by creating network of networks under the same governance. So, so there's a there's a lot of um, energy in the government and uh, CMS space to to promote that sort of thing. But I think now some of those other pieces of the healthcare systems, payers, public health agencies that will start getting pulled into interoperability rules. In your opinion, should any health data be proprietary? It's a, it's a tricky question. I think at the end of the day, the, the patient is uh, patient owns their data. Uh, no matter what format it is in, and I think as a as a country, as an industry, as uh, as you know, systems and technology providers, we we all recognize that. I think the the what is needed though is open standards for exchanging information. When the information is sitting inside someone's uh, database, let's say. Uh, obviously, the, that information has different use. So a life sciences company will use information differently than a provider, than a payer. So the, stand, the, the, the standards for how data is stored will be different. There's just no way around it. But how data is exchanged needs to be through open standards. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Having worked in the payer and provider spaces, what do you see might be the key difference or the key differences between those two in their in their in their systems in their healthcare IT systems. It's a great question. I, I think the 
on the on the provider side, there is um, I'd say a, a lot more heterogeneity of information. Um, on the payer side, I think there are some key uh, information types, such as you know who's um, who are your members, what's their claims, authorizations, etc. And and those those key uh, objects, if you will, are shared across most of the systems that a payer has on their technology front. So just to kind of let me just give you an example. Um, on the payer side, you know, they, they have a claims processing system. Every payer has that. Um, uh, payers also have a medical management system that processes authorizations and does care management for their members. Um, you need to have those, uh, you know, the, the care manager still needs to see what kind of services were rendered for the patients and what odds do you have. Same, similarly, on the claim side, they need to know what authorization that the patient has had to pay out the claims. So I think there is a, there's a lot more homogeneity of information on the payer side. At the same time, uh, I'd say there is a, there's a lot more fragmentation of systems on the payer side. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, Epic and not just Epic, the Cerner and several of the other uh, EHR vendors on the provider side, they've done a pretty good job of integrating a lot of the disparate systems on the provider side. I think on the payer side, unfortunately, we still there's still a lot of different vendor systems and legacy systems that has to be stitched together in order to make that work. And I think there is a the real opportunity for tighter integration and interoperability between those payer systems that exist. You mentioned the term digital transformation. That seems like it's a key part of your job. So maybe we got to define it. Sure. From from your perspective, what is digital transformation and why is it important? Sure. So, you know, when I've spoken with any healthcare leader over the past few years, um, they have a small or large amount of focus on becoming digital. And everyone talks about digital transformation, but as you really drill in in terms of what does that really mean to you, a few themes emerge. Uh, It's something around member centricity or end user centricity. It's around how do you make um, your business better through the use of data. I personally, I think, you know, if you're thinking about digital companies, if I just put my healthcare hat aside for a second, you think about the brands like Amazon, you think about Apple, Google, and some of the consumer experiences people have come to expect. And if you really think about uh, what makes some of those brands different, it's is that they, they share a few attributes. They, they're incredibly end user focused. They have a really high degree of quality. And when there are lapses in quality that they have incredibly high and ever improving service levels, and they do so in a way that they're always reducing transaction costs. Um, so the, there are these attributes of a digital company that we're trying to incorporate inside of the healthcare businesses of today. So we, we deal a lot with health plans. And as we talk about what's, what are the digital health plan look like, clearly you need member experiences. But if you want to be truly digital, you need to be... Uh, agile enough to know what what are consumers going to expect 10 years from now uh, because those expectations will be very different than what they are today and the and uh, a digital transformation to me is really about do you have the number one your technology infrastructure number two a mindset 
that allows you to move at this pace of consumer expectation over the next 10 years. So when it comes to digital infrastructure, I think we might need to define that too, because we've been, we have electronic systems, right? Yep. We've got legacy systems that we've used for decades. Yep. Um, but they're not what you would call digital systems. What would be just for a layman who's trying to figure it out? What's, what, what would be the key difference there? So I'd say one, one seminal question to ask would be, does your tech, everyone has technology at this point. Um, your technology could have been built in the eighties, but it still, still works. Uh, so the, the real question is, is technology that the, that you have, the platform and the chassis that you have enabling you to move your business at the pace that you want it to? Or is, is it the, the, the tent pole, if you will, in your technology or business transformation? So typically for a bit, the, every business transformation takes time. And you, if, if technology is your rate limiting step, then it will, you, it, you would be hard pressed to call yourself a digital business. Whereas if you're, you know, if technology can move at the pace that your business is able to move otherwise, then I think you're well positioned to do that transformation. So the, the, the analogy that I, I like to use is that, uh, you know, you can you can build a car um, that goes 100 miles an hour. Now you could build it with a um, the chassis of a horse carriage, or you could build a more modern chassis. Um, it'll, it'll somehow make its way to the destination, but it's going to be painfully slow if your chassis is that that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. So, what is it that is driving businesses that you're working with to toward that digital transformation? Why, why do they want to, to take that step to move away from their legacy systems into digital? So to answer that, just let me just give a little bit of context on what's going on in the health insurance markets today. Uh, so at HealthEdge, our customers are health plans. Uh, we are, we're very, very exclusively focused on them. Um, for health plans, um, a lot of the growth that came in the 90s and so where we're on commercial uh, in the commercial lines of businesses where employers were buying plans for their employees and that's still the majority of uh, that's still the way most of the us population is insured but if you think about the uh, areas where there is actual growth happening it's around medicare advantage it's around uh, medicaid it's around uh, the exchanges um and you know the, the Obamacare exchanges have slowly but surely crept up in popularity, and um, and and now the so overall the the areas of growth in the health insurance market is really around these government books of businesses where individuals have a lot more choice than they do with their employer plans. So if you're if you're like you know. I work at HealthEd. We have a choice of two different plans, and that is my that is my uh, universe of choice. If I'm a, a retiree looking for a Medicare Advantage plan, I have a lot of choice. So the the need for health insurance companies to woo individuals seeking uh, insurance products is a lot more today than it was ten years ago. 
And, and so now the individuals are making their choices, not just based on the choice of two, but really 15 plans were competing for their attention through services and through experiences that they provide. So the, you know, I think the, there are cases where we see uh, patients or I should say individuals who are selecting plans, not based on the premium, but based on the services and the digital experience that those uh, plans provide. Like, do they like their website? Uh, does it feel friendly and approachable? So those things matter a lot more now for the plan's top line than they used to in the past. And hence the need for them to invest a lot more energy and effort into be- being digital. So it's it's competition, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that we, we're seeing is uh, about five to seven years ago, there were uh, certain zip codes where there were only one or two plans available for on the individual exchange. Uh, and a lot of the national players were uh, sitting on the sidelines to see how this thing turns out. Now, uh, most of the national players are re-entering the exchange and there is a lot more competition where consumers can choose from where, where they had a choice of one or two plans. Now they have seven or eight. Well, who would have thought that Obamacare would have introduced more competition into the healthcare space. I think that would uh, that change the narrative of some people. Uh, yeah, sad. everything in healthcare takes time. <laughs> yes, it does. So let's talk about the benefits uh, of a payer undergoing that digital transformation. They want to be able to be more consumer-centric, more, more member-friendly. Uh, can you dig into that a little bit more, what the benefits are of, of transforming from a legacy system into a a more modern digital system? Yeah, so let me give a very uh, recent example, actually. So, you know, when, when COVID came about, um, there was the public health uh, emergency declaration and a lot of the you know, CMS was publishing rules um, almost every other week in terms of how of certain treatments that used to be out of network could not be treated as out of network. COVID vaccines had to be covered. Uh, and and so on and so forth. So all of those those changes were essentially had to be codified into the payers systems that uh, they were using to essentially authorize services, um, adjudicate claims, and what have you. So in in those uh, early days of twenty twenty of COVID in twenty twenty, uh, we had um, we had several customers. Who, um, who had to very, very rapidly make changes to their benefit plans, to their contracts, to cover these services based on the, the new rules that CMS was pushing out. And the, the, the great thing was um, because we had built this really configurable system that put the, um, you know, the control in the hand of the business users and the clinical users, they were able to make those changes in less than a week, test it out, push it out. And if you if you were to just rewind back um, like even like a, a few years, a lot of the legacy systems that exist, which which were some of which were built in the 80s and 90s, um, each like making those changes required an IT project. Uh, so because and then typically the way those changes were made is every year you take on this big uh, IT project to to really code whatever all of the benefit changes for the next year are going to be. So I think that kind of um, that COVID, um, you know, really exposed a lot of the weaknesses 
of the legacy way of doing things. And it really proved the point that if you have an, an business agile system in place, it'll actually help you make business transformation a lot faster and easier. Well, that's interesting. It's not just about transforming so that you can compete better. It's It, it sounds like it might be able to even lower costs and uh, make you more nimble and agile. Absolutely. And it's, it's really, I mean, operational efficiency really, really matters here. And um, we actually did a recent survey of um, several of our customer executives and um, essentially polled them on what's their highest strategic priority over the next uh, couple of years. And operational efficiency, believe it or not, was the top choice for them uh, because they, they feel that they're, um, you know, they definitely want to take better care of their members. And the the more efficient they are, the more savings that they can pass on to their members in a in a hyperinflationary period. So so that is that is really really important. And and to some extent, uh, being digital, engaging with members digitally versus through phone calls and other means is actually more efficient. And you know, you think about a care manager today who manages a panel of a hundred patients, and they make phone calls to those patients. To do their assessments, so just imagine if they, those, you could push out those assessments through the through the mobile app, um, and then have the members fill it out. Maybe not every member will, but most will. Now you will have a care manager who can manage a panel of two hundred patients instead of a hundred patients, and that's real efficiency. You mentioned that the more efficient they get, the lower cost they get, and that's better for their members. Do you, are, are there any other benefits that you can see or that you have seen? from a member member perspective after a digital transformation? Yeah, I think the um, the other one really is around uh, member retention is a, is a big one because, you know, if the members get good experiences, they're going to stay with you. And especially if you think about the Medicare market where, um, you know, members do have a choice to, uh, to switch during open enrollment period, uh, that building that member loyalty um, is, is going to, is, is huge. I mean, we have customers who have seen, uh, 99% member retention uh, because they have had the they have done a really good job of engaging their members digitally. Um, the other area I could um, mention is, and, and this is a little bit more on the back office side of things, which is really around claims processing. Um, so there is one metric that every single health plan monitors really closely, which is auto adjudication rates. It's about how many claims are you auto, can you automatically adjudicate without human intervention. And um, we regularly see our clients now being able to get into the 90s, uh, like 90% plus auto adjudication rate, which is, um, which is pretty hard to accomplish with uh, legacy systems. Um, so, so I think that's like, and each, like that automation is really efficiency being generated by the plan, which comes back to consumers in the form of lower premiums. Yeah, ninety percent is impressive. In a past life, I, uh, I I I'd understood auto adjudication rates and and what that meant to insurance companies. And ninety uh, percent, they would have. I'm not going to say they would have killed for that, but they would have. <laughs> they would have uh, made some investments if they could have gotten that. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sognik, you have had a, a long and uh, illustrious career. Let's talk about maybe the, the proudest moment that you've had in the last 20 years? What, what has uh, maybe given you the greatest, greatest amount of uh, satisfaction? 
from your your career in healthcare? Yeah. So uh, when you said proudest moment, it just kind of immediately made me think and said, okay, I I have a I have a twelve twelve year old daughter who <laughs> amazes me every single day, uh, even though I'm sure I irritate her every single day. Uh, but um, you know, so it's that, that's something I take a lot of personal pride in. But then from a professional side, um, you know, very recently I'm. I'm a big believer in the power of teams. And if you have a great team that comes together, we can do some pretty amazing things. And um, just as recently as last year at Health Edge, we, um, we support health plans. And when health plans are uh, going through their open enrollment periods in Q4, that's a busy time. And uh, last year, we, um, we onboarded about more than 8 million members across 15 different health plans um onto onto the system which was a which was a, a huge accomplishment and the and what i'm really proud of is how we did it um which is our, our teams work cross-functionally we collaborated really well with customers and you know worked humbly um with empathy and supported each other to to make that happen and and through you know there were sometimes uh long days and, and nights, but uh, we, we just kind of really came together to support our customers. And I, I just felt really good about it. This, is a, this was a big, big team accomplishment. Yeah, that, that does sound like uh, it's something that you should be proud of. And you also should be proud of your 12-year-old daughter. I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. I think we're all proud of our children. What difference do you hope to continue to make personally as you as you go throughout your career? So, you know, I've been in the healthcare and healthcare tech space for a while, and um, I understand that a change in healthcare takes time. Um, it's you know, and you you need to play the long game. And what I'm really hoping to to do is um, build a culture, build a team that can help the change happen over the course of one or two generations, and pay it forward. Uh, hopefully help build and groom the next generation of healthcare leaders. We're really going to keep marching along this journey so that um, over time, just we just constantly are improving uh, across the healthcare system. So, so to me personally, I, I take a lot of pride in um, and do when I see uh, you know people I, I have worked with, people who have been my team members go on to do uh, bigger, better things in healthcare. And um, and to me, that's the uh, you know one of the things that um, I hope I'll be able to do more of in years to come. Well, I hope you do. I hope you keep fighting the good fight. Really grateful for the time that you're able to spend. If anyone is interested in learning more about what you're up to at Health Edge or wants to connect with you personally, what's the best way to do that? Uh, can visit our our website at healthedge.com or LinkedIn. Um, to, to follow us and uh, I can be reached through LinkedIn or through email at uh, my first name, uh, that's sagnick at healthedge.com. Well, thanks again and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. 